Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. With a fresh new song MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone This is Fran Lewis from Freezing Westchester County But we've got the author of Girl Among Crows here This is really good when two boys disappear from the hometown, Daphne Gage sees eerie parallels to her brother's disappearance 30 years earlier. What her husband dismisses as graffiti, Daphne fears are symbols hearkening to an ancient Norse... I can't see this. God. Digging more depth, she uncovers evidence of the town's belief that sacrifices endows wealth and power, and you don't want to know the rest because I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to wait. Good morning, Brendan. How are you? Welcome to MJ Network. Good morning, friend. Uh, thank you for having me. This is fun. So could you give us like a brief summary and tell us about the history of the Brotherhood? I found that very interesting. Uh, okay, sure. Um, a brief summary of, of the book would be, I guess, just to build off of, of the, that back cover blurb, uh, would be that uh, the, the story opens with uh, Daphne Gage uh, in 2021. She's 44 years mm-hmm. old, and she's, um, she's at a convention for her husband who's trying to schmooze up all these uh, other doctors uh, so he can get promoted. Um, and then uh, Daphne, uh, someone taps Daphne on the shoulder. Uh, it's a boy from her hometown, and uh, he he gives her uh, uh, something that belonged to his his late father. Uh, that sort of reminds Daphne a little bit of uh, of 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 the tragedy that happened 30 years before uh, that involved mm-hmm. her brother's uh, disappearance. And uh, and then Daphne starts to remember more and more about those their, those eerie parallels from past and present, and uh, the novel goes back and forth between uh, 2021 and 1988. Um, and you know, her husband and everyone, and the police and everyone else keep saying, uh, "Yeah, I don't, I don't see." you know, what is the significance of, of all your so-called evidence? And Daphne is like, no, this has happened mm-hmm. before. Um, and, uh, and what she, the evidence that she has is on, on the brotherhood or the brotherhood of the raven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the brotherhood of the raven is a pagan cult um, who claim to be descendants of an ancient Nordic uh, group who had to flee their homeland because they were persecuted by those pesky Christians. That is, this really, you did a lot of research, I imagine, on this, for this book. Um, sure. I, I had to, you know, once, once I sort of realized 
uh, once I sort of realized that, that uh, hey, I, I need to know, I don't know much about Norse mythology, I, I need to know more about it, uh, I started uh, looking, looking through, uh, through various, uh, you know, ancient Nordic, uh, the Herena mm. and, and other, other texts to try to get a feel for, you know, what the roots were for this, uh, for this pagan group. And, um, and then that's, that's when it all started to come together of like, okay, yeah, uh, I can see what their belief system would be. And, and then that gives Daphne, uh, something to explore as she, uh, as she moves through the story. Well, Daphne is a really good character, but, you know, back and forth on timelines is hard. So why does she get caught up at the gala with Carla, Carl, and who is Gerard? Uh, well, she gets, okay, so she's at the gala, the, the convention with her husband, Carl, Daphne is, uh, yeah. and, and, uh, and the boy who taps her on the shoulder is, uh, is a boy from her hometown named Gerard Geddy. And uh, Gerard, Gerard is someone that Daphne never really thought of because he, she, in her, in her mind, he was sort of a, he was, he was a boy who had, uh, who was in his home uh, with chemotherapy, so she never really saw him or, or didn't, mm. she, she didn't really have any like strong memory of him. Uh, but then when he gives her uh, something from his late father, she's. She she starts to get very distressed and, and disturbed because uh, she realizes it has something to do with her brother. And she decides that she's going to find out. That's mm-hmm. what I've been finding. It's amazing. Um, well, I read I've read I think in the last fifteen years about ten thousand books, maybe more. Seriously. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, I only I only know that because uh, WordPress told me that I posted over two hundred and twenty reviews this year. Last year, that's awesome. I didn't know that either. That's like, like I did. I got to like, oh my god! And the post office doesn't always bring them. I was lucky that yours came a long time ago, because the one I have to do in two weeks still in common. I have a whole bunch inside that are staring at me. So this was interesting. Tell us about the postcards and what's the significance of them. Well, the the thing, the item that Gerard Gedney gives Daphne. Mm. Uh, that disturbs her so much is a postcard. Um, mm. And so the novel opens uh, with Exhibit A, which is that postcard addressed to Gerard's dad, George Gedney. Um, mm. And it says something creepy like, uh, for the sake of our children, the door must remain open. Um, mm. And uh, Daphne learns that that George, that Gerard's dad George received that card just a few months before he ended up dying very suddenly. Mm. So what is the blot? <laughs> so what what some what that postcard does is it is it starts mm. Daphne on her investigation and she she ends up discovering that her dad also received a postcard warning him to stay away uh, about 30 years ago. Uh, so similar postcards 30 years apart. And mm. so doing more, doing more research, Daphne uncovers in her dad's journals uh, reference to something called blot, B-L-O with a tilde T, blot. Yeah. And uh, blot uh, is a word that comes from uh, Lisa's blot, which 
refers mm. to an ancient Nordic practice of ritual sacrifice. See, during the summer, what the ancient Nordic peoples would do is uh, it was an annual tradition on Letha, uh, they would engage in blood or sacrifice uh, animals and, and uh, uh, to their gods. And so the Brotherhood of the Raven, so Daphne is disturbed to discover, uh, seems to be continuing that practice but not necessarily with animals. And I've heard that before, too, in a whole lot of books. <laughs> and people actually do believe in that. And that, what's even scary is that if somebody doesn't want to do it, they don't care. They just, you have to do it. As, otherwise, you won't be blessed or whatever. That's horrible. It's like brainwashing them. That's scary. So they tell us what happened to her brother and the other children. In 1988, excuse me, mm. uh, in 1988, uh, Daphne's brother, Paul, was one of four children who mm. disappeared all around the same time. And, uh, uh, I'm sorry, what was the other question? Well, what happened to, to the brother and the other children? And then, you know what, oh, tell us about her family in 1988. It must have been different. Mm-hmm. Um, so her brother was one of four who disappeared. Uh, the police did their investigation. They never, they never, uh, they arrested one person, but uh, they never charged anyone for mm-hmm. the disappearances. Um, Daphne has her theories that uh, the Brotherhood are responsible from what she observed in 1988, but Again, no one believes her. Um, mm. And, and uh, Daphne uh, is the middle child of five children. Uh, she's got two older sisters, one younger sister, and the youngest is her brother, Paul. Um, her, uh, her dad uh, moved the family to uh, New Minton, Massachusetts, which is in, uh, in the hill towns of western Massachusetts, uh, he moved the family sort of suddenly years before 1988, uh, before Chapter 2 mm. would begin. Uh, he moved them to New Minton uh, because he feels a calling to serve God, and he, uh, he liquidates his assets, and he builds this megachurch, uh, and he becomes a Unitarian minister. Um, and very early on in the story, uh, Daphne recounts that there's a lot of friction between uh, her dad and her mom, uh, who enjoyed their previous life on, on Cape Cod, on the on the east coast of Massachusetts, uh, and and is very very uh, reluctant to return to New Minton, uh, or to go to New Minton. And Daphne will learn that that uh, her mom actually has ties to. Uh, that town that she did not disclose to her family. That is scary. So this <laughs> is this is really even scarier. They have the lost boys. What is the blot that Trevor was planning, and who is Trevor? He's scary. <laughs> um, so Trevor Fleming is Daphne identifies Trevor Fle- Fleming as. Uh, as one of the brothers, one of the members of the Brotherhood of the Reason. Mm. And he, he comes from 
an affluent family, the Flemings, who they own uh, the, the town of New Minton is very small. Um, uh, it's in a west. It's a hamlet in western Massachusetts. Not a lot of industry or anything. So, uh, so he his family, the Flemings, own like a construction company. So they're like I said, they're one of the few affluent families in town. And um, and Daphne in the past, in 1988, Daphne observes and hears lots of rumors about Trevor about how he's uh, he's creeping around in the woods. He's He's uh, teaching mm. kids to knife squirrels. He's he's uh, found an old book about uh, ritual sacrifice, and he wants to try it. But Daphne can't find anything concrete. And how this relates back to the present is Daphne considers Trevor, uh, what would the police call him, a person of interest? Um, yeah. And she really wants to be able to get her hands on Trevor uh, once boys start disappearing again in 2021. She's like, hey, it's Trevor. we got to find Trevor. Um, now, this is the interesting part. Who is Teresa? Now, I think everybody would like one of these. What is a forgetting spell? And I could think of a lot of things, people that would want one of those. <laughs> um so once once uh Daphne uh identifies uh you know that she that hey you know someone's got to find out where Trevor is he might be he might be involved uh two more boys disappear in the mm. present in 2021 and Teresa is the mother of those two boys and uh and after you know Seeing da- uh, Daphne, you know, in her in the course of her own very private, uh, on her own time investigation, uh, you know, hears through the reads through the newspapers, hears through news reports like Teresa described what happened when her boys disappeared, and she becomes convinced. Uh, whether she's right or not is 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 one thing, but uh, it's another thing I should say. But uh, Daphne is convinced that Teresa has suffered a memory loss due to a forgetting spell. She thinks that the reason why Teresa can't remember what happened the night her children disappeared is because of a, of a forgetting spell that a member of the Brotherhood of the Raven had cast. Is she it right? could be that. Mm-hmm. You just hypnotized. That's scary. That is scary. Mm-hmm. So what, Thank you. what happens when they, when they decide to do the initiation? And what happens if nobody, if they don't want to do it? Mm. Uh, so very early on, once Daphne is looking through her father's journals, uh, she 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 sees that her dad documents uh, certain practices from a group he identifies as the Brotherhood of the Raven, and mm. uh, one of the one of the parts uh, that that her dad apparently wrote into his journals. Um, was uh, uh, a note exhibit which turns out to be exhibit B uh, in the in the book uh, after after chapter two or so uh, and exhibit B is titled the initiation and it describes mm. the practice of blot of of uh, they wake up the the brotherhood wakes up their boys they take them to the top of a hill they they do a ritual and then they uh, apparently um, supposedly 
sacrifice uh, cattle uh, on top mm. of the hill next next to their uh, next to their their stone uh, their sacred stone what they call the idol. And what happens if they don't want to do it? They have no choice. Well, and okay. according to the initiation, it says you can go down the way you came and no harm will come to you. Uh, but Daphne does remember that, you know, that not all children of the Brotherhood are treated equal. Those those who have more mm-hmm. power, like the Flemings, uh can can control and manipulate those who are, you know, on the lesser economic scale. So who what are the elementals? And when you have to ask this question, when you write a story, a novel in two timelines, do you write them one after the other or do you write one timeline and then go back to the other one? Do you do them separately? Um if I can answer the second question first, yeah. um the the alternate timelines was sort of a, a happy mistake slash accident. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> when I I first wrote the first early draft of of this, and, and this book took ten years from first sentence to book in hand. Um, I I originally wrote it thinking that Daphne would be eleven years old in the fictive present. In other words, now she would. Mm-hmm. She would be observing these things, and and so I I pretty much I I wrote out I wrote out the scene or I wrote out the 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 whole thing uh, in in the past uh, or with the past tense and and then I realized like I'm missing a lot here, <laughs> so mm-hmm. then I realized oh wouldn't it be interesting maybe if Daphne could reflect you know maybe this happened 30 years ago and Daphne could use those clues from the past to try to solve a 30-year-old crime uh, that's continuing today. And so I did write the, them separately, and then I, I just sort of inserted them, you know, as, like, as to alternate as much as possible. That's interesting, because I couldn't do that. Everything I write, every, yeah, well, my, my new book is Mirror Image, and if you look in the mirror and you plays what you've done that's something that's wrong that you've done to someone if you don't correct mm-hmm. it you wind up reliving it in the mirror forever oh that's interesting in the mirror it's scary yeah it is it's, everybody that's read it said it was really great and a couple of new york times authors gave me blurbs for it and the second half is people that are dead telling their stories why they were wrongly accused or why they were silenced or they deserve whatever i gave them too bad so mm. what are the elementals and oh. how did they come back in, da- in uh, Daphne at present? Uh, one of the another thing that Daphne uncovers through her investigation early on into mm. the into the Brotherhood is is their belief that that the they blot or they they sacrifice uh, uh, cattle and possibly children um, to. Mm. Uh, to please their uh, their gods, which they identify as as elementals, um, and and so and I, I I play I'll be honest here I, I played a bit fast and loose with um, with uh, some various Nordic uh, beliefs uh, you know that the the world was the world began as a chasm 
and then fire and ice sort of mixed together and mm. and uh and so uh once I read that I was like, Oh, okay. Uh the there's a strong belief in elements, so then then uh then those sort of evolved to, to the elementals. Uh so I imagine that there's these elements, fire, water, air and earth, mm. uh that's uh that uh, the the brotherhood uh, worships. That's scary. So who is Bradley Weaves, and how does he blindside her? Um. Well, I, I don't want to give too much away. Um, no. But uh, uh, so, what's going to happen in in the first uh, first hundred fifty to hundred pages is. Daphne's private investigation into the Brotherhood, trying to locate people like Trevor Fleming, uh, mm. she's going to realize that uh, she's going to realize that she can't do this by herself. Uh, there's no way that she has the resources. She's got a family. She's got young children. Uh, she's got a job, um, and and she's uh, she's in ethics. Uh, Investigator, she's not a police officer, so uh, she keeps getting letters from the FBI. Uh, once the children, mm-hmm. once Teresa's children go missing, she keeps getting letters from the FBI, and FBI wants to hear from uh, from other victims and families who have open cases because they want as much information as possible. Uh, mm. And and the particular team of the FBI is the CAR team, the the children. Uh, abduction, readiness, something. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the no. car team is who is a real team in the FBI is headed by a fictional character in the book, Bradley Reeves. And Bradley Reeves ends up serving as the chairman for uh, for uh, 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 an open hearing uh, that that uh, uh, from from uh, survivors of of uh, of uh, you know, violence or abduction against children. And so Daphne, mm. uh, Daphne knows that the FBI really wants to hear from her family about the tragedy in 1988. So she, she knows that they're hungry for her testimony. So she offers them a deal. Hey, can you, you know, can you get other people? Can you depo- I'll, I'll give a deposition to you. I'll give testimony to you, I should say. If you also agree to depose other people, including Trevor Fleming, and so Daphne mm. sort of has to make a deal with the FBI, hoping that she can, you know, she can give testimony on what happened 30 years ago, and give dirt on her family, but hopefully she'll have a shot to get close enough to uh, to these grown boys uh, who are who may be part of the brotherhood. Uh, and so Bradley, Brad, to answer your question again, Bradley Reeves is the chairman uh, of mm. that, of that committee. That, that is, is scary. And I'm surprised that she, I know a lot of, a lot of the books I'm reading where people see something and they decide they're going to investigate it themselves. So I have to be careful because she can get hurt. So, the story and focuses on the ravens, crows, and flicks. If crows often held trials to judge and punish members of their flock, how did that? How does this pertain to the novel and the court? Because I found that interesting. 
I'm sorry, could you could you repeat the question? I wrote it. <laughs> the story focuses on ravens and crows and flicks. Mm-hmm. If crows can often hold trials to judge and punish members of their own flick, flock, how are they pertaining to members of the, of the real real people in the court today? Um, the ravens, the ravens judge their own flock. Mm, yeah. Hmm. Um. I mean, like I uh, like I said, the the ravens. I'm not. If if I'm misunderstanding the question, please please clarify. Let me know. It's okay. Um, but but the. Uh, the 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 raven uh, the 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 brotherhood the the purported members I should say of the brotherhood uh, Daphne will notice uh, uh, from 1988 to 2021 as she encounters them is you know again not all members are created equally um, there's the those who are wealthy are in control those who grew up uh, poor are end up being manipulated and controlled. And sometimes uh, they can't, the members can't handle, uh, you know, what's expected of them, and then, and then they get kicked out. Uh, Trevor, Trevor will be accused, for instance, of consolidating power, and so he'll excommunicate uh, those who, uh, you know, don't believe as, as, as uh, who aren't true believers like he is. Well, Daphne is determined, right, to get mm-hmm. justice in her own way. But what is Chai, C-H-I, and who is involved in setting the fire? That was scary, too. Well, I, I don't want to give away any spoilers. No, about, don't uh, give it away. I, I just write the questions uh, as I see them. But the... What was the first half of the question? The, the, that, uh, oh, Daphne getting justice her own way. Um, well, I've had I've had lots of readers who who you know, lots of friends who when they were reading it had various interpretations on that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I sort of saw Daphne as as exhausting her legal recourse. Right? She is she's like mm-hmm. she goes to the police and and they she goes to her husband who rebuffs her. She goes to the police who rebuffs her. She goes to the FBI to try to you know document this evidence that she's uncovered um, and she gets largely ridiculed or mocked or dismissed um, mm-hmm. and leaving her, you know, as, and as the stakes get higher, she's, you know, she's, she's realizing like, Hey, you know, you know, can we have justice here? Um, uh, but as far as, as the tragedy, uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to say too much more uh, about that. No. I don't want to give anything away. The other thing is this, I mean, she's just a person, and she knows what she's saying, Then they don't believe her. So what happens mm-hmm. when you tell people, the police, well, these, this is what happened, and the boys are missing, and why won't you do something? And why don't you do something about what's happening, and they don't listen, and somebody else dies? How do they feel then? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, I don't know if I don't know if this is going to make sense right away, but uh, I, one of the things that was really interesting to me about Daphne and creating Daphne's character is she's the middle child, and she's 11 mm-hmm. years old in 1988, and and uh, you know uh, 
birth order is always very interesting to me because you know I I grew up I was at first I was the oldest and then my parents both remarried and then I became the middle child and so I I I got used you know at first I was used to like you know I'm bossing everyone around right and then suddenly people are bossing me around and I have older brothers who don't listen to me <laughs> and uh and so and so I thought you know being, Daphne being a middle child is like you know she's you know she's saying stuff all the time but like there's older sisters who like don't care what she has to say or 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 overlook her uh and so I felt like a very strong connection to Daphne for that and also being 11 you're old mm. enough to you're old enough to like see and observe for yourself but you're not old enough yet I mean at least when I was 11 I didn't feel like I was old enough yet to be taken seriously and and I think those two dynamics, you know, carry over into Daphne's life into the present. That's one of the things that really interested me about Daphne. Uh, so she, you know, yeah, she goes to the police and she's like, hey, I have this evidence, something bad is going to happen. And then they mm-hmm. don't believe her, you know. And I think that's one of the, you know, I think to me that's that was like a very in- interesting part of uh of, of how Daphne sort of like approaches and tries to interact with her world. Uh, and, and, uh, I hope is, you know, and I hope readers also connect to that. Well, I understand that my sister was the middle child and trust me, Mm -hmm. you knew she was there. I miss her. She (laughs) died in 2010 under really Uh, weird circumstances. Yeah. She was, you knew she, you knew she was there. She was the hell on wheels. My sister, and then there was me, somewhere in the middle, somewhere, and we were very, very different. She was very outgoing, and I was this very book-conscious person that read books forever. I no wonder I was doing this. So it was different. But what is the book, and what is the significance of the plastic? Significance of the plastic? Um, hmm. It was an object, something made out of plastic that that they used to find things. Hmm. I'm, um, well, what, I'm what, sorry. What is I'm the totally book? Bl- I put the I'm, book over there. I'm blanking on that. I'm, I'm, bl- I'm totally blanking on the plastic. I, I don't. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I guess I have to read my book. That's okay. Uh, again. Um, but uh, uh, but the book. I guess you're referring to the book of the Brotherhood is something that. Yeah. Uh, um, the. So Daphne, so as I said, Exhibit B is um, is is the refers to the initiation, and Daphne will, through the course of her investigation, she will um, uh, she will she she will eventually find or locate, discover um, mm. that there's a, a a thing called the Book of the Brotherhood, and this book uh, contains. The Brotherhood's history, their their ties to to their ancient Nordic homeland. Uh, it also contains spells, um, and uh, and uh, and also there's a there's also a very helpful guide on how to take care of your ravens. Hmm. I'm looking at the book here, and this is really amazing. I put the book out in front of me, and. There's a chapter that says special commission of the card team, and you have a lot of things blacked out. How come some of the answers are blacked out? Mm-hmm. Which makes so you wonder what is 
Oh, sorry, guys. No, it makes you wonder why did you black them out? <laughs> um, well, uh, for for a few reasons. Um, so one of, so one of the things that I had to do some research on uh, was you know I liked having these exhibits for you know for the reader mm-hmm. to sort of like puzzle over, parse over, try to figure out you know the you know yeah. like Daphne, you're you're trying to like solve the mystery, right? Um, and and uh, and so one of the uh, one of the exhibits here uh, includes uh, testimony from uh, from the card team from the FBI and uh, with the chairman uh, Bradley Reeves uh, asking the questions and uh, but yeah there are some parts that are redacted and um, those you know those those uh, those redactions I I, I inserted there uh, to sometimes, you know, show that, you know, hey, this world is, is incomplete or there's, it's been, mm-hmm. you know, covered over or, you know, is someone trying to protect someone else kind of thing, uh, someone trying to protect, protect the, the guilty. Um, and so I, I, I was hoping that, that those redacted parts uh, would, would add to the suspense and to the mystery of, of, uh, of, uh, of Daphne's pursuit for, for justice. Yeah, she really takes a risk here, too, doesn't she? But before I forget, mm-hmm. this is in front of me, glaring in my eyes. Okay. Mm-hmm. The 22nd, I have the author of The, Gen- the January Corpse. On the 24th, this is a real honor, the former Chief Justice of the Trade Commission, his honor, Stephen Granger, will be here with his first novel, Secret Deceit. Not bad. Mm-hmm. On the 25th... Uh, the last horseman. I have to redo it because there was something with the sound and the recording and whatever. So that's it. On the 29th, um, New York Times author uh, Peter James. And on the 31st, I'm not really sure. It depends on if um, Cynthia Tolbert is okay. And February starts with Terror Bay with Lisa Tallis. And from uh, from Ocean View, that keeps me too busy. The face of greed, drama 12. That's just some. And uh, my show is booked, everybody, until August 8th. No, I'm serious. So if you have something coming out in May, June, I don't do July or August, now's the time to tell the Queen because it's getting filled up. I don't know how, but it is getting filled up. <laughs> so I, it's exciting. And doing this is a lot of fun. So who were the missing children, and how does uh, Daphne play in the dangerous role of trying to help find them. Well, Daphne, uh, as you read, you'll see that uh, when when da- when uh, Teresa's children disappear, uh, and Daphne and Daphne obviously wants to help. She wants to save Teresa from mm. the pain and suffering she saw her parents go through. Um, she wants to. She thinks that the abductions 30 years apart are related um, to her brother's disappearance. So she. She's very motivated to help, but uh, as you'll see, she's she's going to put herself in danger. She's going to have to go into dark mm. alleyways. Uh, there's going to be uh, there's going to be uh, seedy people who who uh, may have the power to, in addition to causing physical harm, magical harm uh, to her, mm. um, and uh, and she's going to have to as 
as the walls come up, as the police and the FBI uh, seem like they won't, they're not helping her, she's going to have to uh, keep putting herself uh, or make a choice that uh, can put herself into grave, grave danger um, in order to finally unmask the killer. Well, who else is involved? And what about her husband? What about Carl? Does he help at all? Mm, uh, I can't say who else is involved. You'll have to read. Uh, no okay. spoilers. Um, but uh, as far as Carl goes, um, Carl, Carl and Daphne, you know, have have uh, what I hope is an interesting dynamic dynamic between them, where you know, Carl is is I hope readers will see him as a loving and supporting husband who also, and somewhat paradoxically, is also has, you know, just thinks like Daphne is crazy. She's, she's showing him photos of, of dirt, of, you know, tire tread, and says, hey, this is, this is something significant, and, and it means something. And, and he's just like, yeah, there's tires. Someone made a skid mark, you know. Uh, and so Daphne, you know, Daphne's having a lot of trouble being able to communicate to Carl, hey, you know, this is serious, this is important. And and instead, as you'll see, starting in Chapter 1, Carl is just like, mm. let's call the psychiatrist. Um, and and, mm. uh, and so that will, you know, that sort of dynamic will, will also contribute to the strain as the stakes get higher. Uh, and, again, leave, leave Daphne... Uh, having to make one desperate choice after another. She was really determined to find out what happened to her brother. There was no way that she was mm-hmm. she was going to stop until she gets gets the answer to what happened to Paul, right? No matter what it takes. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many mm-hmm. people would do that. I don't think very many. I well, don't know. I, I mean, I I remember in psychology classes reading about, you know, uh, grief and, and, uh, mm-hmm. stuff that really stuck with me 20 years later and, you know, reading, reading case stories of, of, uh, you know, parents who, parents whose children have, you know, disappeared and, and they never knew what happened to them and they, they still have, you know, they leave the light on for them. They, they have, uh, they make a meal for them every day and another just, Stuff that's just heartbreaking to me, and uh, and so I think you know for for me you know as I saw as Daphne sort of you know blazed on the page for me I just saw yeah she's she's not going to give up. Now, I understand what you're saying. When my sister died and under very unusual circumstances, which I can't say because I'm really not sure what happened, she would call me every day at seven o'clock in the morning. And she would say, did you give mom her medicine? My mother had Alzheimer's. I said, no, she's waiting for the good one to come. That's you. It's really weird because my mother used to call for my sister. And I go, but I'm, I was the one that paid, seriously, $6,000 a month for her home care so she would have 24-7 until I finally got the rest of it, which was really clever. But, yeah, you 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 automatically feel you feel like at seven o'clock in the morning, even till now, till today. Why didn't she call me to tell me not to do this or to do this? She read my life. Mm-hmm. She's the reason I'm doing this, and the network I am. Really? MJ, yeah, she's the reason I did this. What happened was my mom developed Alzheimer's in 2003. I weigh 100 pounds. 
I weighed like about 190 because I was eating into oblivion because I was getting aggravated. So in 2007, she said, why don't you write a book? I said, you're going to be so sorry. I did. I wrote, my name is Bertha. I'm Bertha. She's Tilly. And I wrote our stories growing up in the South Bronx. And I made her read it and edit it. And I wouldn't change a word. She didn't like my word. <laughs> but, yeah. You you begin to say to yourself, well, you look up at the sky and say, like, where are you? And you don't know. So what is the definition of truth? And how did you define it in the story? Well, I think um, that's an awesome question. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I thought a lot about it. You're the first person to ask that because, you know, I thought a lot about, really? you know, truth and, and truth. Everybody says that, but, I do that I do things like that. I don't know why, but I just, it just bothered me. I said, yeah, truth. A lot of people don't even know what it, what, what it means ever. I don't think there are people that never tell the truth and they get away with it. Well, what, one of the things that interested me of, you know, about truth and truth and, you know, mm-hmm. the brotherhood have their version of truth and what they believe Daphne uh you know, has her version of truth, which is, you know, informed by, you know, the complex dynamics between, you know, her dad, mm. her dad wanting to do right, uh, you know, but like isn't always the most attentive Unitarian minister. Uh, <laughs> and mm. then like her mom's sort of like, you know, very complex uh, attitudes about, you know, where she came from and and how she's trying to live and how she's trying to, you know, raise her children and also, you know, mm. you know, do something for herself, you know. Uh, so, you know, Daphne sort of sees all that, all those sort of storm clouds there and is trying to, you know, navigate and find a truth for herself. Um, and, and then there's also the truth of really what is the true motive for these children's disappearances? What happened mm-hmm. to them? Uh, and, and so Daphne is, is you know she's she's doing her research she's making her allegations and to everyone else she they dismiss her she sounds she sounds like she's crazy so you know one of the things for me that that was a lot of fun writing i don't know if it's fun reading but you know daphne will say something that you know she believes and and i i would say it's probably truthful but <laughs> But everyone else is just like, Daphne, you sound crazy, right? And then they, they, they just uh, – so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of fun of, you know, what, so what is truth? There, there's a lot of fun about, like, playing with what is, what is truth, where, where what is true can seem like it's a lie, and what is a lie can seem like it's true. Like, playing with those two uh, oppositional ideas. So what is truth? I don't know. <laughs> I I think I think in our in our society in our life where we are now, I think those things uh, can easily get clouded and, and manipulated and and uh, and I guess you know what was going on in the back of my head when writing this is is I wanted to 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 get out that idea uh, in this story. You did because you know there are people out there. I listen to the media not too often. And you listen to the same story on Channel 12, Channel 11, Channel 4, whatever, and each each mm-hmm. commentator says it their way. So you don't know what the truth is and what it really isn't because basically it's their point of view or the station's point of view. So I don't believe anything mm-hmm. until I really look at it myself. So a lot of people don't even know what a truth is because sometimes they tell a lie so well that people believe them. That's even scarier. 
if you really listen mm-hmm. to the news and some people on it. So how did where is that where do you find Daphne at the end? What's gonna happen? Are you gonna bring her back? Is this a sequel? Is there a sequel to this one? <laughs> um I know. That I, was a sneaky I have question. No plan. I'm sorry, go ahead. That was a sneaky question because I like her. <laughs> um, well, thank you. I, I really, you know, Daphne is just very near and dear to my heart, if I can use that cliche. Um, I I really, you know, I just, whenever, when when reading and editing and going through the story mm-hmm. a million times, you know, Daphne, Daphne's sort of uh, strength and determination and her, you know, the way the way that she keeps fighting is was really something that that helped me sort of, you know, fight for her <laughs> as as it went through this ten year process to get this book out. Um but uh I I feel, you know, that where Daphne ends up and I won't say where she ends up, but uh no, I, I, I currently anything. do not I currently do not have plans for a sequel. I really I I really would prefer that Daphne's story be over. I think it, once you get to the end, I think I think Daphne's gone through a lot, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and so I would I would hope that Daphne, uh, you know, Daphne can find peace after after this um, after so much tumult. Um, and yeah, well, but who knows? You came maybe, up with an issue I'll... that's very important, though: missing children, and how many people don't do anything about it. And then mm-hmm. the police have this thing: if they're not missing 24 hours, they don't do anything about it. But you never know they could find them, and that bothers me too. Well, it's it's a it's a bit it's it's you know it's some I mean sometimes if there's foul plays, police will get involved right away. But you know you have you do have that that contradiction mm-hmm. of you know you have to wait 24 hours before you can file a report, and at the same time after 24 hours. The the chances of finding recovering a child alive, yeah, um, is go you know craters goes down exponentially. So, um, you know those that's in real life that is terrifying, but writing a story about it is also kind of interesting. <laughs> well, that I watch called Justice, and I watch it where mm-hmm. where uh, Kelly Zeger is going to uh, solve a case. They never really solve it after thirty years oh. or whatever. They don't always solve it, no. They do. Sometimes they get the right person. Sometimes the DA says they have to watch out for it. Sometimes a person gets where they try really hard to help the family. It's it's very interesting because I see how they struggle to try, and these cops were not the same ones that where the child was lost or the person was lost 30, 40 years ago or 20 years ago. So you've got a whole new group of people, and they're they're really investigating very well. But sometimes you get I get really upset and I go like, oh my god, they never found him, and sometimes mm-hmm. they don't know why they can't find the person, and the person is sitting right there that that killed or made them disappear. So that that's an interesting point. So what's next for you? Um. Well, I'm I'm oh uh, I I have. I have three kids. Uh, two of them are pretty young, five and one, and uh, so they they keep me pretty busy. But when uh, when schools are open and I can and uh, and I'm not teaching or, or prepping, um, I'm writing and uh, I'm very excited about a project that I have uh, that's that I'm in the process of of, uh, of writing about. It's uh, it's about four college students. Who um, 
who traveled to uh, Japan and uh, uh, to to settle the estate of uh, one of their friends, uh, who one of their friends' dads who died, and um, there they uncover uh, uh, something. Uh, very terrifying and very scary, and I'm right in the middle of it. I don't want to say too much more, um, but uh, it's uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm about halfway through it, so I'm, I'm very excited to finish that up, and then hopefully uh, I can start sending that out to people and and see if anyone else likes it. That sounds that sounds really good. I'm sure I like it, and I taught in, in the public schools in in New York for a very long time. Once I have one, but I oh, did. Yeah. I did. I am what you call my principal. I came, started to teach, and they gave me the worst sixth grade class in the school on purpose. He wanted, <laughs> well, he literally if wanted if me. You're to new, right? Yeah, I was like five feet tall and 17 years old, graduated college early, and my, the assistant principal wow. was my third grade teacher. So she hired oh, me wow. walking down the street. Yeah, and he hated me when I walked through the door. They gave me 36 children that were all used in conduct. You're not supposed to get more than two or three. And here I am walking in, and they, they weren't violent. They were just nasty until I got nasty, real nasty. <laughs> and I won the war. They were the worst class that they said ever walked through this school. And by January, they were the, they were the, they, they were, they were, everybody loved them. But I got to tell you, I had to wow. take them on the train on trips, had to take them after school. And the, back then, you didn't get a prep period. The kids went to gym, and you had to stay. For real. Mm. And I got really That's... good at dodgeball and kill. And the girls were 6 feet tall. Then they didn't mess with me. It was really good. And I taught sixth grade, and then the next year, I got the top class in the school. They were geniuses, so that kept me busy. And then the fourth year I taught, my principal decided I belonged on first grade, and oh, God. It was, wow. I did. I yeah. Those first first graders were reading on fifth grade by the end of the year because I said to them, boys and girls, you are no longer six. You're twelve. I'm not going to talk <laughs> to you like you're twelve. Yeah. That, I thought they were, the parents were going to kill me. My God. But I did. And then I, I in 1984, I had, or 85, 1994, whatever. My friend in, in the beauty parlor said, why don't you go and get a reading master's? I had one already. So why don't you go to get a second master's in reading? And I'm so glad I did. The best thing I ever did. And for 19 years, I taught kids with learning disabilities. And the fun part was, Brendan, nobody ever complained about coming down to reading. They were like, because I was unique and different. And these were kids that were fifth graders that couldn't read or anything. And one class, a group of boys, they were all boys, came down and said, we're here for reading. And the teacher said they're suspended because they got in trouble. I said, you can't do that. It's it's a it's a state program. I can get in trouble. And they didn't move. They stayed. I was like, uh-huh. that that's probably the the greatest honor in the world with the willing to defy the teacher to come and visit. But I did, yeah. And then I went back and got a master's in administration and supervision. But teaching, reading, and teaching is great. What do you, what subject do you teach? I, I loved every minute of it. If my mom didn't get diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I probably wouldn't have retired so fast. After a million years. Oh, you had to retire with with your mother uh, got diagnosed. My mother uh, got sick. Yeah, she retired. She got sick, and my sister um, didn't want to quit. She was running an orthopedic office, and my brother was was the head of a, of a Brunswick Bowl. And the two of them together said, "Well, you have to do this." I said, "Why?" 
I said, I'm the one that went to California when she almost died of, of a pulmonary thrombectomy in 1994. And I had to stay there for a month, and my poor reading kids were upset. I said, now I have to, I had to retire. And I said, that wasn't fair. And it's not that I'm sorry that I did because the principal took my reading program and destroyed it. I was a writing staff developer the first when she first came, this lady. She said to me, we're not going to get along because you have a principal's license. I said, I just want to be the staff developer. And the writing scores went up past grade level in the fourth grade, like 60 and 70% above grade level. That's how, I didn't even know what I was doing. I just did it. So teaching <laughs> teaching is it's I love it. And every um month and anybody that wants to listen, every two months I do a seminar on reading on my on my radio show with my first professor for reading. So this oh, month wow, we're gonna in April we're gonna do um artificial intelligence and in reading and in education. Last month we did uh, last week we did um the great debate, Dean Schwal. We've done medical medicalization. We've done comprehension, questioning, and everything. So, te- teachings in my blood. So, how, what do you, what do you when you sub or when you teach? What do you what subject do you work with? Um, I I teach English at UT Austin. Um, uh, I've I've taught creative writing there. Um, I'm currently teaching uh, some literature courses, including one nice. on banned books, uh, which is fun. Uh, more than 20 years ago, I taught high school for one year uh, at my old high school, and mm. I had a similar experience. They assigned me all the classes they didn't want to teach, and so right. I had all the I had all the behavioral problems all all housed into one classroom. And uh, yeah, one day a student a student was throwing pennies at me. That's how that's how fun that was. Um, but uh, yeah, I moved. I taught high school for a year and then and then uh since then i've been teaching uh at the university level either as a grad student sometimes as an adjunct now i'm uh, working my way up uh so i hope uh to a lecturer position that that is great i had a class of well they gave me double grades <laughs> there was uh <laughs> the chancellor macarola decided to do something called the transitional program and i got stuck my principal sent me to the board of ed. I had a fit, and I said, what am I supposed to do? And I was first grade, of 16 of them, no discipline problems. They could read, but my job was to do something impossible, which wasn't really. They had 16 kids, and they said by January we're going to give them a test to see if they can get promoted to the second grade. Oh. Talk about pressure. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I, I did what they said, and I overdid whatever, and in January eight kids went to the second grade. And the other ones Good. missed it by a quarter of a yeah they did, and my principal said, well now we're going to give them put them in another class. I said no I'm not. They're all mine. I'm going to keep them. Don't worry about it. I did two grades, and I was stuck for that for another ten years, double grades, fifth and sixth grade, four, five, and six. And there was one thing, one sixth grade class that they gave me, and I walked in and this kid was holding a chair. I said, do you want to play catch? Because I'll not not bad. I'll play catch with you. Of course I pulled my back out, but I won the point. I won the point. <laughs> teaching, teaching, teaching is a privilege, and parents should realize that they should give us the respect we deserve. And I know I did a good job because my students are on Facebook, and they tell me every day. Uh, that's that's well. It sounds like you have a great sense of humor, Fran, which is I, I think, which keeps you sane. I think as a teacher. <laughs> 
I do. It's my father's side of the family. My mother had no sense of humor whatsoever. I won't oh. even tell you what she taught you. Yeah, I, I do. And there were days, because of what I told you before we got on the air, which I'm not going to say, I, I just wonder how I keep my sense of humor. <laughs> but then I realized, you know what? It's, it's, it's bad, but it could be worse. And thank God what they took out was not a bad one. So what can I say? But this has been fun. And um, do you ever do panels, panel shows? Um, I have not been on the panel show yet, but I'm open to it. Good, because I do them a lot. And I come up with topics that nobody else comes up with. As a matter of fact, the last time we talked about how do you create your character's personality, and I also decided, you know, how do you decide what you want to write about? And that's the hardest thing. So thank you so much. I hope it gets warmer there because it's freezing here. And <laughs> I this, hope the snow is the, isn't too bad for you. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And, and your review is on just reviews, and I just hope that my spell correct didn't screw up again. But I tried. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, Everybody you. have a great day. Stay warm. Thank you.